Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Now, it is with great pleasure that I present Miss Marilyn Monroe. She is the greatest female star Hollywood ever produced. Miss President, the late Marilyn Monroe. And in most people's minds, the 20th century's definitive sex symbol. It shakes me. It quakes me. It makes me feel goose pimply all over. I don't know where I am, or who I am, or what I'm doing. In films such as Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Seven Year Itch, and Some Like It Hot, she lit up the silver screen in a way that no one had before or has since. He makes them sit on the piano bench, and he makes them play chopsticks. Then suddenly he turns on them. His eyes bulging, his mouth frothing, just like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Her every move was breathlessly covered in the press, and her marriages to New York Yankees legend Joe DiMaggio and playwright Arthur Miller were media sensations, the equivalent of British royal weddings today. Don't you know that a man being rich is like a girl being pretty? You might not marry a girl just because she's pretty, but my goodness, doesn't it help? But on August 4th, 1962, Marilyn Monroe's incredible light was suddenly, shockingly turned out. And 57 years later, the full facts of her death remain hidden. Story of my life. I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. Hello and welcome to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Jackie Moran. Well, guys, I have to say, as a TV host, as a style expert, this is a woman I've admired my whole life. I mean, this is Marilyn Monroe. She is a true icon, just like to me, to so many of us out there. Personally, for me, Marilyn Monroe was my icon as a child. I wanted a picture of her in my room. It was the first picture frame my dad ever gave me as a gift. I admired her completely and wholeheartedly. And then, as I got older, I realized this poor woman, her life behind the scenes was such a tortured, tumultuous life. And I started to really feel sorrow for her. I started to really feel so intrigued by the Marilyn Monroe I admired meets the actual Marilyn Monroe. And that's why we're here. I just want caviar. It's good to have caviar. We had it every damn day. You know? <laughs> yeah, too much caviar. <laughs> and yet, it stares at envy. Who does she think she is, Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> But just how much do we really know about Marilyn's final moments? Unanswered questions continue to linger what happened in the weeks, the days, the hours, and even minutes before the blonde bombshell took her final breath, naked on her bed and surrounded by a deadly cocktail of prescription pills. The coroner's official verdict? Probable suicide. Yet many believe it was murder. There was really no basis 
for her to have committed suicide. Marilyn Monroe made a threat, and that threat cost her her life. Marilyn was just too dangerous a woman to be allowed to continue to live. Which begs the question, who would want to kill her? We're going to investigate the secret life Marilyn hid from the world, juggling affairs with Rat Pack crooners, president's men, and mob bosses, and chronicling every encounter in her infamous Red Diary. Marilyn Monroe kept a secret diary in which she recorded intimate information about her relationships with several celebrities, including love affairs with the then President Kennedy, and then later on having a romance with Bobby Kennedy, the Attorney General. Everybody wanted to put their hands on the diary because she wrote down some incriminating things in the diary. We are going to investigate the secret life Marilyn hid from the world, juggling affairs with Rat Pack crooners, president's men, and mob bosses, and chronicling every encounter in her infamous Red Diary. We will chronicle how the woman who had used her sexuality to hold sway over men her whole life was ultimately undone by her choice of lovers. She was going to tell. She was going to talk. She wanted to bring people down. And there were a lot of people who were invested who would have indeed collapsed had she begun giving press conferences and letting cats out of bags. She was the most dangerous woman in America. We are going to show how, after conducting an affair with President John F. Kennedy, Marilyn started a simultaneous affair with his brother Bobby, while also seeing long-standing lover Frank Sinatra. Sinatra's secret business partner, notorious Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana, as well as other men, including her personal psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson. Today, sexual infidelity would not be viewed as the atomic bomb it was back then, so... Marilyn, by associating with powerful men, became a target of interest to the enemies of those powerful men. And she kept getting involved with powerful men, all of whom had enemies. So she was the perfect vehicle, the chess pawn by which those men could be punished. We will explain how Sinatra was the link between the mafia and the White House, and how Giancana used Old Blue Eyes, affectionately known in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as the president's pimp, to set JFK up with a succession of starlets for blackmail purposes. We will show how infamous FBI director J. Edgar Hoover also sought to gain leverage on the president and his brother. Everything associated with the life and death of Marilyn Monroe is as murky as anything else we've ever come across. Forces countermanding one another. Everybody had an angle. Everybody had something to protect, something to hide. And we will take listeners inside the pages of Marilyn's Little Red Book, the personal diary in which she wrote each day, obsessively recording every lover, every encounter, and that had the power to take down a president. We will show how it was this diary that ultimately got her killed. My name is Becky Altringer, and I'm a private investigator Meryl Monroe was murdered. I strongly believe that because all the evidence doesn't make sense. It's a cover-up. It was a whole cover-up, and there's so much evidence to prove it was a cover-up. You know, my feeling is she was murdered, and nobody wants to change that. They just want to keep it as suicide. So, if the coroner's verdict is wrong and Marilyn didn't die by her own hands, then what did happen, and who exactly was responsible for her death? One of the most famous stars in Hollywood history is dead at 36. Marilyn Monroe was found dead in bed under circumstances that were in tragic contrast to her glamorous career as a comic talent. 
On the surface, she seemed to have such a zest for life. Her international appeal took her from command appearances to the other side of the world and entertainment for Korean GIs. The star led a far from normal childhood and had 12 sets of foster parents, leading her to say in her last interview that she was never used to being happy, so it wasn't something she ever took for granted. She never let her personal feelings interfere with her job, and she was the idol of the GIs, the animation of foxhole dreams. Here's the official version of events. On the morning of Sunday, August 5th, 1962, the world awoke to the news that Marilyn Monroe was dead. Even more shocking, however, was the manner of her passing. Miss Monroe has suffered from psychiatric disturbance for a long time. Mood changes were abrupt and unpredictable. In our investigation, we have learned that Miss Monroe had often expressed wishes to give up, to withdraw, and even to die. On more than one occasion in the past, when disappointed and depressed, she had made a suicide attempt using sedative drugs. Marilyn had been discovered by her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, at 3.30 a.m. Murray noticed her bedroom light was still on and the door locked. After failing to rouse her, she called Marilyn's psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson. He arrived shortly after, apparently broke in to her bedroom through a window, and fearing the star was dead, called her physician, Hyman Engelberg, who arrived at 3.50 a.m. Half an hour later, they notified the Los Angeles Police Department. My name is the fabulous Gabriel, and I wrote a book called Marilyn Monroe, The Lost Diary. At the death scene of Marilyn Monroe on the morning of August 5th, 1962, Sergeant Clements of the Los Angeles Police Department was the first officer to arrive at Marilyn Monroe's home. And he was kind of skeptical. He didn't really think that it was suicide. He claimed that when he entered Marilyn Monroe's bedroom, the area looked like it was staged. It was not a normal scene for a suicide victim. This is the reason why. There was no suicide note. Her hand was still clutching to the phone receiver. She was lying down naked, wrapped in the sheets. As Sergeant Clemens approached the body, he noticed several bruises and perhaps from fighting off her assailants. Sergeant Clemens found Marilyn's naked body artfully sprawled across the rumpled sheets of her bed, arranged in his words as if for a nude photo shoot. In one hand was the telephone receiver, and on the bedstand were a large number of empty bottles of painkillers. Marilyn's body was whisked away and taken to the L.A. County Coroner's Office, where an autopsy was conducted that very same day. Danforth Prince, Monroe expert and publisher of Marilyn at Rainbow's End, Sex, Lies, Murder, and the Great Cover-Up. The morgue in L.A. had a notorious history of corruption, graft, and mismanagement. Assigned to perform the actual autopsy that Sunday morning was Dr. Thomas Noguchi, a Japanese-born surgeon who had moved to the United States in 1952. He'd studied pathology at the Orange County General Hospital in California, and in 1960 had taken a position with the coroner's office. Ironically, about six years later, on July 6, 1968, it was the same Dr. Noguchi, then the chief medical examiner for Los Angeles County, who performed the autopsy on Robert Kennedy after his assassination at the Ambassador Hotel. Noguchi's autopsy established that Marilyn had died between 8.30 and 10.30 on Saturday night and concluded that the cause of death was acute barbiturate poisoning with high amounts of chloral hydrate and nembutal in her blood and liver. 
There was no trace of any pills, capsules, or residue in her stomach. However, it seems strange given the cause of death and all the empty bottles by her bedside. On August 17th, Noguchi published his findings. His conclusion? Probable suicide. On the basis of all the information obtained, it is our opinion that the case is a probable suicide. Cyril Wecht is a forensic pathologist who has personally conducted over 20,000 autopsies in his six-decade career. In all my years, 57 years, I do not recall a case in which somebody put down probable. When you are not sure what you are supposed to do officially, properly, is to list the manner of death as undetermined. That's why we have a box for undetermined. Nothing to be embarrassed about intellectually by using that having seen tens of thousands of death certificates over the years and so on. I don't remember uh, somebody putting down, you know, like probable and then going ahead and signing it out as suicide. If you are not sure, uh, then you put down undetermined. Marilyn was laid to rest three days after she died at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in Los Angeles. Ex-husband Joe DiMaggio took charge of the service. Only 30 of her closest friends and family were invited, and most of Hollywood's so-called elite were not. Outside, police struggled to contain the crowds of mourning fans, as well as hundreds of reporters and photographers. Celebrity biographer and Hollywood historian Mark Bego. And I remember uh, very distinctly the morning of August 5th, 1962, when it was announced in the media that she had been found dead. And I was crushed. I was nine years old. And the death of Marilyn Monroe was just something completely out of my realm. The idea that someone so alive, someone so vivacious, and someone so famous could suddenly be dead. She seemed to be someone who had everything. I couldn't fathom the fact that someone like that would want to take their life. Over the following days and weeks, more details emerged. On the night she died, Marilyn had a number of significant conversations. And remember, she was found with the telephone receiver still in her hand. The first of these was Joe DiMaggio Jr., the son of her ex-husband, with whom she was still friendly. My name is Charles Cosillo, and I'm an entertainment journalist. Marilyn had stayed close with all her stepchildren, and she stayed close with Joe DiMaggio's son. She had a momentary bright spot in the evening when he called, and they chatted happily. After Marilyn and Joe finished talking, she called her psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson, according to him, to tell him the news about Joe Jr. and the split from his girlfriend. Around 8 p.m., she received another call from British actor, rat packer, and brother-in-law to the president, Peter Lawford. There was still a dinner party, and he still wanted her to come, and he was calling her. You know, come on, Marilyn, come out. You'll feel better. Just come out, come to the beach. And Marilyn, in a famous phone call now, because Peter Lawford backed this up that it actually happened. Well, it was he's the source. He said that Marilyn said, I'm not coming. I'm staying home. But say goodbye to Bobby and say goodbye to Pat and say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then she, she drifted off. As well as those phone conversations, Marilyn had also seen Dr. Greenson earlier that day. Dr. Greenson had a very questionable doctor-patient relationship with Marilyn. Dr. Greenson fell in love with Marilyn Monroe, like many people before him, fell under her spell. 
She even spent the night there on certain nights. That was crossing all kinds of bad lines for doctor-patient because there was no separation between her therapy and her friendship. On Marilyn Monroe's last day, he had the house visit in her bedroom. He was talking to her. He, he said she was upset and depressed, but I had seen her in worse shape. He said that one of the reasons she was so depressed was because she had been expecting to see one of the two very important men in politics that evening. And at the last minute, it fell through. And she told him, here I am, the most beautiful woman in the world, and I don't have a date on Saturday night. What's less known is that there may have been other, more discreet visitors to Marilyn's house that day. On August 4th, Bobby Kennedy and Peter Lawford went to Marilyn Monroe's home in the afternoon, about 2.30, 3 o'clock, I'd say. Bobby Kennedy was sent there to tell Marilyn Monroe that he's breaking off the affair with her and not to call the president up in Washington, D.C. and then to break all relations off with the Kennedy family. If he did come, he flew in, confronted her at her home in the afternoon before the psychiatrist came. Whatever he said to her, if he was there, was part of the reason that she needed to see the psychiatrist for an immediate home visit. You would surmise that it would have been something like, this is final, we have to stop. I I like you, you know, I want to be here for you, I want to help you, but we have to move on from this. Marilyn Monroe, the most desired woman in the world, was being emotionally torn apart by her choice of lovers. But her romantic life was not her only, possibly fatal, problem. Doctors would give her, you pick me up and also put you to sleeps. And she was on that cycle, and it can be a deadly cycle. It it still is today sometimes for movie stars. She fell into the whole Hollywood circuit of learning lines for the next day and not being able to sleep. So then she took sleeping pills. Well, then she would wake up and be groggy, so she would take uppers, you know, to keep her going all day. And then different psychologists and doctors she went to would give her Valium, would give her sedatives to to even her out. And she knew depression. She knew darkness. But this period really brought her there deeper than she had ever been before. And she was telling some close friends that she had contemplated suicide. She had actually got up on the ledge of her high-rise building and stood on the ledge. and She was going to jump. But when she looked down, she saw a woman she knew wearing a brown coat. And she said that she didn't want to do that to her. She didn't want her to have to see that. Marilyn Monroe splattered on the sidewalk. So she went back in. Marilyn's career was also in something of a crisis. The last two films she made, Let's Make Love and The Misfits, were both flops by her standards. And shortly after starting her final film, Something's Got to Give, she came down ill and ended up missing so many days on set that in June 1962, 20th Century Fox fired her and sued her for $750,000 for breach of contract. They also very publicly blamed her drug addiction and fragile mental state for her firing. Was this, on top of the breakup with the Kennedys, the drugs, the depression, simply the final straw for Marilyn? Here's Charles Casillo. She's fired from her film. The press is saying... Her career is over. Bobby Kennedy is seeing her less and less. Where does she go? Who does she cling to? As Elton John said, 
never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. The rain was pouring down on her now. Who is she going to go to? So she felt very, very, very alone. That's why it was so devastating to her that she was starting to realize that John Kennedy wasn't going to bring the relationship any further, and Bobby wasn't. Marilyn was unstable even in the best of circumstances under the pressure of her falling and failing movie career. She was even more unstable than usual. She was bitter. She was mad. She felt she'd been used and abused by everybody in Hollywood and show business. And she wanted vengeance. I also think she wanted a whole new start to her life, almost spiritual overload just couldn't cope. She was going to tell. She was going to talk. She wanted to bring people down. She was the most dangerous woman in America. So what really happened on August 4th, 1962? Did a desperately unhappy Marilyn Monroe, as coroner Thomas Noguchi concluded, commit suicide? Or was there a more sinister reason for her death? And if she was murdered, who did it? What was the purpose of Bobby Kennedy's visit? And what really transpired with Dr. Greenson that afternoon? Over the next 11 episodes, we will pick apart the mystery of just how she came to die. And finally, we will reveal who killed Marilyn Monroe. But first, let's go back to the very beginning, before Marilyn Monroe ever existed. And a penniless foster girl called Norma Jean Mortensen dreamed of becoming a movie star. On the next episode of Killing Marilyn Monroe, a tough upbringing. Yes, I think there's two things in human beings that they as I think there is in myself that they want to be alone but they also want to be together because I think I have also uh, a gay side to me also a sad side and I think that's the way with people Back in the 1920s and 30s, a lot of people took in foster children for the money. They were paid a certain amount a month to have them. And so there was really no affection for the children. And, and Marilyn was a pretty little girl and shuffled from one foster home to another. And she was abused. Sexual abuse of girls was always considered the female's fault. And so it wasn't considered terribly important. They had no idea about how it could ruin a woman's life. So she endured the sexual abuse. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten, reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada, scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts.